This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. Coming up on this edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast right here on RadioInfluence.com, I'm going to be joined by a fighter and a coach to talk all things going on in the world of MMA from UFC 207, which takes place on Friday night. Also, we'll talk about uh, just a local scene and some other things. Greg Rebel, before we bring in Greg, I want to let everyone know about my sponsor, Fight TV. Fight is your number one source for all things MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling video. You can download the Fight app by going to fightfite.tv forward slash radio influence. They have a lot of great MMA content on there. Also, uh, DDP Yoga coming to Fight TV in 2017. With that, Greg, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. Just enjoying the holidays and, uh, you know, just kind of hanging out, man. You know, I'm sure there's a good amount of my fan base who probably knows who you are, but for the, the people listening that maybe uh, are not familiar with you, kind of explain your history in the sport. Well, uh, geez, I've been, I started in uh, 2005. I played hockey my whole life, and uh, that's pretty much what kind of got me into it. Um, in probably 2004, I started training. I had my first fight pretty quick. You know, it was kind of stupid, but, I, you know, back then there was no amateurs or anything. So, you know, I, I started uh, in Boston. And uh, I made my my pro debut, yeah, in 2005, and just kind of been going ever since. And you know, I was on uh, season 11 of the Ultimate Fighter. I you know I'd fought for Bellator a few times, and uh, now I'm I'm signed to CES. And uh, you know, the, my last five or six fights have been on Access TV. So I think the there was a while the perception there there didn't seem a lot of coverage of the Northeast MMA scene, at least nationally by the MMA media. But over the past couple of years, a lot of people paying attention to that. Is there anything that you see that maybe has been the turnaround of why so many more people are, are so interested in that Northeast scene? Well, I'm, honestly, I'm gonna, I'm going to give all the credit to uh, Access TV coming in here and signing CES. I think that uh, you know seeing the guys from the Northeast fight on TV has been a huge exposure for uh, for everybody in the Northeast. And just because, you know, CES has sent a lot of our local guys to the bigger shows, whether it be Bellator or to the UFC. So I think just because of that, you know, you know, the UFC is paying a lot closer attention to just all the shows around the Northeast. You know, I, I think there's a lot of guys that are ready to go to the next level, you know, fighting for CES and fighting for NEF and reality fighting and all the local promotions around here. What? And uh, I think that Access TV has kind of helped that a lot. You know, one of the things that I get the sense from uh, talking to some Northeast fighters that there seems to be that the days of signing the multi-fight deals with the Bellators and the World Series of Fightings are kind of over if it's a preliminary card deal because they don't want to be stuck into that, that long-term deal where you know, hey, if it's Bellator, you may only be fighting on the Mohegan shows and it's a, it's a preliminary card, the local ticket seller. But CES seems to be that show that everyone wants to go to because, yeah, they have the outs. You can get out, whether it's a UFC or Bellator. Is it just kind of one of those mentalities where, as a Northeast fighter, you just don't want to be stuck into a, a contract where, say, a UFC comes calling, you have that opportunity? Um. Yeah, but, you know, CES, is, they're pretty good about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? If, if you're going to go to the UFC or Bellator, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to be pre- – they're definitely going to let you go. I mean, because that looks good for them. You know what I mean? If, if uh, like, when a guy like Rob Font signed with the UFC, you know, CES posts that up over their social media. And, obviously, yeah. fighters are going to be like, wow, this kid won three fights in a row for CES. 
he's gone to the UFC. Like, I think I can do the same thing. So that's good for CES. So, I mean, there's no issues. Those guys are really cool about it. That's their goal. CES wants to push you to get to the next level because it just makes their company better. Of course, uh, you, you've got a fight coming up here in January. Opponent is uh, still TBA. But uh, and I saw something you, you said recently in an interview. You said, he goes, I don't have training camps. I just train. Is that kind of, do you think that's the new mentality uh, of MMA fighters is that the days of training camps are pretty much over? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. You know, you see a lot of guys, um, even guys like John Jones. John Jones is just a freak athlete. I mean, he's a one in the, he's a once in a lifetime kind of a guy. But he always said he's a guy never trained and you know when I'm out of a fight camp. But in my opinion, like that's why all the young kids that I coach, I'm always on them. Like as soon as they have a fight over, I give them a week or, or two weeks sometimes, depending on if they're injured or not. And then you know I'm right back on them. Like man, you got to get back in the gym because. That's when you improve, in my opinion. Like when you go in and, and you know, obviously you want to take the intensity down and sparring and stuff like that. Like out of camp, I might spar once a week. And if I do, I go light and it's more just kind of playing with different stuff. But that's how you improve. Like in, in jujitsu and stuff, you know, I'll put myself in a lot of bad positions when I'm out of camp. And just, you know, for instance, like there's a lot of good wrestlers that I train with. And a lot of them, they never want to be put on their back. But then when they go into a fight and they fight a wrestler that's better than them and they get put on their back, they have no clue what to do. Because they don't work on stuff like that, you know what I mean. You always have to, you know, you know, work on your entire game and put yourself in bad positions. It's just going to make you a better fighter. I mean, I never stop training. You know what I mean? Obviously, my intensity level is not as high as when I'm in fight camp or when I have a fight coming up, rather. Um, but yeah, I, I never stop training. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm 34, but you know, I, I still improve like through every fight. You know, Don Cerrone's talked about, you know, he, he calls it technical sparring. It's not the, the balls-to-the-wall sparring anymore. And I hear more and more of that out of fires. Now, when you spar, is it more of a, a, a technical-type sparring to basically avoid wear and tear on your body? Well, that's the other thing. You know, me and my boxing coach, Dave Keefe, talk about this all the time. You know, um, when I'm out of camp, yeah, the, the sparring's lighter. You know, I always wear a full headgear. I wear as much gear as you can possibly put on me. And, uh... You know, when you're out of camp, I think it's more, you know, it's more drilling and a lot more technical sparring. But when you have a fight coming up, you have to spar hard once a week. I spar hard once a week. You have to. You know, guys like Donald Cerrone, yes, they have a lot of experience. But just in my opinion, if I just drill and I don't spar hard and it's not intense, and then I go in there and I got some guys trying to take my head off, you know, I haven't really prepared myself for that. That's just that's just my opinion. That's how I look at things. If I don't spar hard or if I'm going easy during camp, and then I jump into a fight and I look across the cage and this guy's trying to take my head off. It's going to be a little bit different than what, you know, me sparring super light in the gym. Like, I think that you have to go hard. I know that, you know, five or six weeks out of my fights, I have two guys that, you know, pit me and, and I switch them off every couple of minutes. Uh, and, and my, you know, I have one day a week where I just go really hard. And of course, uh, you know, you, you have you're coming off that uh, loss there to Ashley Gooch, uh, and you, I know you've talked about this in the past. You make one minor mistake, and and credit to Ashley, he yeah. took it, he took advantage of it, and of course, he ends up getting into the World Series of Fighting. Is there ever a part <laughs> of you that that sits back and goes, "Man, if I would have won that fight, that could have been my slot." Yeah, it would have been my spot, you know. But uh, listen, everything happens for a reason, you know. Ashley, Ashley's a good dude, man. I talk to him all the time. Like, it was a good fight. You know what I mean? It was a fun fight for the fans and for everybody. And, you know, heavyweights, man, it's everybody, you know, both of us had big knockout power. I thought I had him knocked out in the second round. Like, it, you know, it went back and forth and I made one slight mistake and, and that was it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things. You've seen it happen in the heavyweight division a lot. And, and uh, you know, in the lighter divisions, you know, those guys can take those shots a little bit. But in the heavyweight division, man, if you, you make one mistake and you get one on the chin, dude, it's, 
it'll change the night. You know, <laughs> and unfortunately, that's what happened to me. But are are you the the type of fighter that uh, you'll constantly go back and watch that, or is it already in the rearview mirror, and you're you're just like, you know what, I can't live in the past. I have to live in the future. Yeah, like I, you know, here's the thing, man. Like I talked to Pat Miletic and a bunch of guys after that fight, and they're like, dude, you you know, you dominated the first two rounds and you were winning the third round. You just made one mistake. It's not like I got. You know, when I went to the bat in the locker room, it was like I wasn't like I got dominated the whole fight. You know what I mean? It, it, like it wasn't I, I, I didn't belong there. You know what I mean? Like I was winning the whole fight and I made one mistake. And he, you know, he's a great fighter, man. The guy took advantage of it. So I, I had my head high when I left that fight. I was fine. I wasn't like, you know, obviously you get kind of mad that you lost the fight, but it is what it is, man. This is what I signed up for. You know, you have to know how to win, but you really have to know how to lose because everybody loses in the sport. And if you don't know how to deal with it, or you can't deal with it. It's, you know, you shouldn't be there, man. I know we've had multiple conversations over the last year when the Association of Boxing Commissions was was looking at uh, potentially adding a 225-pound weight class, and you were kind of that perfect guy right there, uh, but they, they're not going to go with that weight class. They, they've decided. Uh, when you hear that news that 225 is out of, out of the mix, what what goes through your mind? It's just because uh, that would have been a perfect weight class for you. Yeah, man, it would have been a perfect weight class for a lot of guys. You know, Think about just the UFC in general, you got guys like Junior Dos Santos. He weighs in at like 235, 236 sometimes. He could definitely get down to 225. And a guy like John Jones could go up. Or a guy like, uh, you know, who's that big 205? Like Misha Serkinov. He's a yeah. monster at 205. Guys like, you know, he could go up. Cain Velasquez could come down. Even Fabricio Verdum's weighed in at like the low 230s before. It just makes a lot of really cool matchups that, you know, would be very interesting. And it would add another belt in. And Daniel Cormier is another guy that comes to mind, you know, uh, I just think it will be a lot healthier for a lot of these guys. I, I know me personally, like my last weight cut to 205 was, it was brutal. It was the worst fight of my career. I, I fought Lewis Rumsey and it was, it was horrible. The weight cut was terrible. And I just, I was gassed in the first minute of that fight and I'll never do it again. My best fights have been at heavyweight. You know what I mean? I'm not all ripped up looking like He-Man anymore or anything, but I fight much better. I'm and I'm much stronger and healthier. It's just, it's, you could watch all my fights at 205 and watch all my fights at heavyweight. And it's, it's a total, complete 180 in the, in the difference of um, how much better I am. You know, weight cutting is, I know Andy Foster, the California executive director, he's called it the biggest problem in, in MMA. And, and I'm sure if you probably yeah. go to 10 different people in the industry, they might come up with five different answers of what the biggest problem is in, in MMA. But weight cutting, um, you know, I've listened to Joe Rogan. He's talked about it. He thinks we should just eliminate weight cutting. You know what? Whatever your walk around weight is, that, that's what you should be fighting at. I mean, you look yep. at uh, Kevin Gaslam. I mean, guy looks tremendous at 185. You look at Donald Cerrone. Looks tremendous at, at, at 170. But weight cutting, it's a part of the culture. How, how do we stop this culture of – Fighting at the weight you can make as as opposed to maybe the, the weight that's best for you health, you know, physically. Well, and here's the thing, too, is, you know, a lot of guys are doing the weight cutting, but there's certain guys that are, are masters at it. It's the wrestlers, man. The wrestlers, like guys like Brennan Ward, he's been doing it his whole life. Cutting weight to him, it's just like, boom, it's so easy for him to do it because he's been doing it forever. But a guy like me or, or, or a lot of guys that didn't come from a wrestling background, it's, it's difficult, man. Like him, my body just doesn't react well to it, you know. But some guys can do it, and then they can recover the next day. Brennan Ward walks around with about 200 pounds, and he's shredded at 200 pounds. And he cuts down to 170, like, no problem. Zero problem at all, no issues. But then you get a guy I, that I trained with, um, Chuck O'Neill, who walks around at 205, and he's shredded at 205. I mean, he's a monster. 6'2", 6'3", and he got down to 170. And, and when I tell you 
when we fought on the same card, I would just follow him around at the weigh-in because I was so nervous. Like, I was so concerned for him. I'd be like, this kid literally looks like he's going to die. Like, yeah. And, like, every five minutes, like, Chuck, like, you all right? Like, I didn't even care about my opponent or who I was fighting. Like, <laughs> like it's just some of these guys just kill themselves to make it. And it's it just it's gonna ruin your body at some point, you know what I mean? You just it's just it's brutal, man. It's and it's like I said, look at Kevin Gaslam. He's not a big one eighty five er, but he just fought Tim Kennedy, who's one of the biggest eighty fivers out there, and he tuned him up. And Donald Cerrone, same way, like you know, this whole trying to be the biggest guy in the cage once you get in there thing, it's just kind of ridiculous to me. I think that talent and skills is gonna you know the cream rises to the top at the end of the day, and I think that's what's gonna win the fight. I remember talking to Chuck, and, and he, he gave me the story about his last cut to 170, and he said his sister was with him, and basically just, he, he said, he goes, I felt like I was on my deathbed, you know, in terms of getting down there 170 pounds, and there's a lot of stories uh, uh, like that, you know, whatever organization you're around, uh, but, you know, one of the things that they're they're talking about is essentially a weight class every 10 pounds from, you know, 125 uh, up to 205, and I think that would, there, there's so many fires you can look at, especially in that 155 to 170 range, uh, you know, I look in the UFC, Nate Diaz, 165-pound weight class would make so much sense for him. Um, I, I know oh, I've yeah. talked to David Rickles in Bellator, and he's talked about it. He goes, if you tell me I can fight at 165, he goes, I'll take that every day because that's a guy who has to cut so much weight just get, just to get down to yep. 155 pounds. But I think the good thing is there are people in this industry that are trying to, to do it. I mean, and it's like you said, there's always going to be fires that no matter what, they're going to cut a massive amount of weight. Hundred percent, man. And think about a guy like God, Glayson Tebow. Like he is a monster at one fifty five. I don't know how he makes it. I I still don't understand how he makes one fifty five. Neither do I. Because I I went down to American Top Team and I trained down there. And like, let me tell you, like he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. But I could not believe how big he was. I I was just blown away. Like, and he 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 had to have been over two hundred pounds, and he was shredded still. I'm like, what? I couldn't believe it. I know you do a lot of cross training up there, uh, up in Boston, and you know Triforce and other gyms. Uh, is it simply just cross training? Is is just simply about not kind of getting in that same type of schedule, same training partners, to where maybe you don't necessarily uh, make the upgrades in your game that you could if you're cross training? Yeah, well, you know, I've been with Mark Delagrati since you know I had one fight without him, and as soon as I, I had. Um... I had one fight, you know, I, I went and I was, you know, I, I joined his gym and I've been there ever since. And um, and then I moved down to Rhode Island and I've known Pete and Keith Jeffries, the guys who own Tripors. I've known them since day one, you know, and those guys have been good friends of mine. So, you know, it was it was perfect for me because I lived down here. I trained at Tripors and, and I've also been a part of Mark's gym, you know, forever. man. I, I was the first day I showed up at Mark's gym and I was sparring with Kenny Florian, George Varon, Patrick Cote and Marcus Davis. So, I mean, it was. I, you know, I've been one of like the original guys there for a long, long time. And um, for me, I just think that, you know, let's, for instance, guys like Cody Norby, you know, he, 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 when he fought Andre, he was literally training out of his dad's garage and then he was mm -hmm. training at top flight wrestling. So he had no direction. He had no clue what, you know, what to do. Like when I first took him to the gym to see his home, um, it actually started because Rob Font called me when he was fighting, uh, I think it was Entwistle with the fight that he, you know, it backed out, but yeah. he needed the shorter guy that was good with leg locks. So I brought Cody up. And then I told Cody, I'm like, man, you know, you should, you know, come aboard with us, man, and, and start training. And when I took him up there, he was, you know, he was blown away. Like, the whole car right home, he just couldn't believe that, like, he'd never been a part of a training camp. You know what I mean? He's never seen anything like it. And all the structure and how the whole Mark and Andy Cote and those guys run, you know, they run a really tight ship with their camps and the sparring and the drilling and all that stuff. Tyson Chartier as well, they do a great job up there. So, 
since day one when I took him up there, you know, he was hooked. And, and now he's he's same with me. He's a triforce with, with Pete and Keith Jeffries. And then uh, we also go to uh, see Oton a few days a week for sparring. And uh, I remember yeah. I remember talking to him before his last fight, and, and he credited you for you know the changes in him. And is that the biggest thing for you? Is, is as as a coach, is just you know when you have guys that you know just speak your praise. Is it how you know what does that do for you? Knowing that you know what, hey, what I am doing is working. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? I, I kind of credit that to my coaches. You know, I, I think that I have, you know, some of the best coaches around. And uh, it's kind of just a reflection of them. You know, I think I learned from, like, some of the greatest guys around. And I just kind of use their knowledge. And you know, I haven't, like, created my own thing. I've just kind of mixed both of the, you know, I've just so- taken something from everybody, kind of mm-hmm. mixed it up and kind of used my own thing. You know what I mean? So, and it definitely, you know, it works. I'd like, you know, I'd like to think that I know my stuff <laughs> when it comes to MMA. I've been a part of it for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I know it's pretty cool, man. You know, Cody's one of those guys that, um, you know, you can't teach heart and, and you can't teach guys that are just, mm-hmm. you know, he's just got it, man. He's just a really tough kid and, uh, and he wants it, man. You know, you can't teach stuff like that. So, you know, if he, if he dedicates himself to the sport, man, he, he's really going to be good. He's going to go to 125 and, uh, you know, he, he might see him in the UFC before you know it. When did you realize you wanted to be a coach? Um. Honestly, right off the bat, man, Mark Delagrande was always the one that would talk to me about that. You know, I was always really good at like holding the pads and stuff like that, and I just always had a good knowledge for the game, for, you know, for the game for striking especially. And uh, you know, anytime we had a guy on the card, you know, I always worked with a lot of the guys at Seattle and same at Triforce too. So I mean, uh, I kind of knew I was going to be a coach. I wouldn't say right off the bat, but a few years into it, you know, I was helping out a lot of guys. So. Is there ever a, a time when you're you're tra- you're training and you're coaching at the same time where you kind of say maybe you're not selfish enough for your own things because you're worried too much about you know the guys you're coaching? Well, that's the other thing too. You know, being at Seattle and a Triforce, obviously there's a million coaches there, so we have a ton of help. And uh, like with Cody, he's fighting on the same card as, as I am now, so we both take a lot of road trips together, and and you know what I mean going to see to Boston and, and to Providence and stuff like that. And we also go to Junico, one of Daniel Gracie's gyms in, in Hanover, Mass. So, you know, a, a lot, he'll, he'll get to work with the other coaches at Seatong, and he also works with Pete Jeffries and uh, Keith Jeffries at Triforce. And, you know, he works a lot with Mark Delagrati and Andy Cote at Seatong. So, I mean, he's getting – he's still getting the same coaching as I am, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, when I have a fight camp coming up, I can't just focus on him. But, you know what I mean? All, he's in good hands. You know what I mean? He's getting the same coaching I am. We got the same coaches, basically, so – you mentioned Bryn Ward, uh, you know, uh, probably a pound for pound one of the best interviews in all of MMA because you never know what Bryn might tell you, um, you know. But obviously he's <laughs> he's been on an absolute roll. There was a story where I was doing an interview with him and my business partner Radio Influence. Uh, we were doing the interview live, and uh, when when I asked him a question, I'm like, you know, hey, you, you won by submission, you won by knockout. What do you prefer? And he's like, well, if a rival reporter starts talking crap about you, what would you want to do? And I was like. Yeah, I kind of get what you say there. But, you know, Brandon won the best one, but he's got a huge fight coming up against Paul Daly, um, you know, and, and finally gets a fight outside of the Mohegan Sun. It really hasn't happened a, a lot, but, you know, Brandon is, is very popular in that area, so you understand why why Bellator wants, wants to go there. So what's uh, what uh, as a coach, what are some of the challenges you see in Paul Daly? Well, I mean, obviously he's probably got the best left hook in the game, man. You know what I mean? You've seen him drop a lot of guys, knock out a lot of guys with that left hook, man. He's got dynamite in that. Um, it's, it's the thing is with Brennan is he doesn't like game plans. You know what I mean? He kind of just goes in there and, and, and he'll just kind of, you know, 
Brennan's wrestling is top notch. He's an unbelievable wrestler. And you saw her in his last fight with Saad. I told him, I'm like, Brennan, use your wrestling. Let's use the wrestling a little bit, mix it up. And he took him down, got him against the fence. And then Saad says something to him like, I think we're going to wrestle. I thought we were going to bang it out. And, <laughs> um, and I heard it. It was right next to my corner. And, uh -huh. I, and I looked at, at the other coaches and I said, here we go. There goes the game plan. And Brennan pushed him off and he's like, yeah, we're going to bang it out. And I'm like, here we go. Like, you know, but that's, that's just Brennan's mentality. It's just his personality. Like he's a wild man. He's a wild child. Everything he does is to the extreme. You know what I mean? I, I want him to use his wrestling against Paul Daly, but you know, who knows what's going to happen. If Paul Daly starts running his mouth at the way and says, you're not going to strike with me, it's going to be a kickboxing match. So that's pretty much what I'm expecting because I expect Paul Daly to try to get in his head. And Brennan's one of them guys, man. You know, he, he's a man of his word, and, and, and he'll he'll go in there and fight, man. He'll go out on the shield. He's not afraid. So I expect it to be a slugfest. Um, the biggest thing with him is I tell him, you know, watch out for that big left hook. And uh, Brennan's very fast. He's good at moving in and out. So he and, and, and Brennan's got just as much, if not more, power than he does. So it's, you know, it's going to be a very interesting fight. I mean, he's fought for the 185-pound title against Alexander Shemenko, but I would look at this. I mean, I know it's it's a very cliche thing to say is, hey, the next fight's your biggest fight of your career. But to me, this has got to be the biggest from a, a marketability aspect, the biggest fight for Brennan because he's a co-main event underneath uh, Tito and Shale. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I love Shemenko. I think he's a great fighter, but not a lot of people know him. You know, like, he doesn't yeah. speak great great English. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's not in the media a lot. But Paul Daly is. Paul Daly is very, very marketable, especially over in the UK and over here. People know him all over the world, especially from, like, the kickboxing and stuff like that. So I definitely think it's the biggest fight um, of Brian's career. And it's, it's going to get the most media and the most people yeah. watching, for sure. No question about it. As a coach, will you go out of your way to listen to as many Paul Daly interviews to maybe try to see if you can figure out what he's thinking? No, not really. I mean, Paul Daly's had so many fights. It's, you know, he's fought every different kind of style guy in the world. He's fought Josh Koscheck. He's fought great wrestlers. Like, it's it's going to be another day in the office for Paul Daly. Like, I don't think anything's going to, like, face him. You know, I think he's one of them guys that's going to be prepared for everything. You know, you've seen him fight good wrestlers in Bellator. You've seen him fight other good strikers. You know, he, he he's one of them guys who's, you know, he's he's pretty good everywhere, Paul Daly. He's got great takedown defense. He's got good defense on the ground, too. You know, I... Is he concerned about, you know, Brennan Ward's power and his athleticism? Yeah, probably. I think he's going to be aware of it, but I think he's seen it all. I don't, I don't think anything's going to be a huge, giant surprise to Paul Daly. I know they're coming back to Mohegan in April. It's got to be, naturally, Brennan's got to be, you know, you would think he'll be on that car. But what's the bigger fight? Title fight against Douglas Lima or Michael Page? Because the Page, I, the Page uh, fight's a fight I think everyone's been calling for for about the last year. Well, the thing with the page is, is he, again, he's like Paul Daly. He's so popular overseas, and everybody all over the world knows him. Not a lot of people know Douglas Lima. Yeah. And he's only had, what, two fights? He's only had two two fights in the last couple of years because of injuries. I would have to say the Michael Page fight would be, you know, it would probably get bigger ratings. But, I mean, obviously, I would rather have the uh, Douglas Lima fight. You know, I mean, fighting for a title would be, that would be the key. You know what I mean? But. I've, I've told them to ask for the Michael Page fight because, you know, I, I think that he got really got exposed in his last fight. You know, I think he's great, mm -hmm. but I think that uh, Fernando Gonzalez kind of showed people how you really need to beat him. And I told Brennan that from day one. I said, if you ever fought him, I would know exactly what to do. You know what I mean? That uh, that I think would be the way to beat him, you know.
even if you go back to his fight against Noshawn Burrell a couple of years ago, where, where Noshawn basically had the game plan of, I'm taking this fight against the fence. I'm going to make this a, a, a grinding fight. I'm not going to fight at range. But you mentioned about your about your striking. Yeah. You, you, you love the striking. What about Michael Page's striking makes him so good? It's, it's you know, how, how he's, he's constantly, he's got his arms down low. And I think it's kind of, you know, in his footwork, he darts in and out. You, you never really know where he's coming from. You know what I mean? Um, the footwork is just unbelievable. His, you know, his distance and how fast he closes distance. And he hits you with shots that you don't see coming. You know what I mean? I know he's a powerful striker, but I wouldn't even necessarily say it's his power. I think it's his timing and his distance and how fast he can dart in and out. That's what gives guys problems because they don't know what's coming. You know what I mean? And you get a guy that comes in swinging at him and he comes in and out so fast, you just don't see it coming, man, but. His timing and his footworkers is some of the best I've ever seen. I mean, I know Brennan's won the fight, but I, I've said for some time I don't think Bellator wants to wants to make that fight because if Brennan were to well, use it, Brennan Ward at Mohegan Sun, and they got Michael Page, who also has fought at Mohegan Sun a bunch of times, and he's a big star in the UK. They're both guys that you can build up on separate sides of the bracket. Yeah, you know what I mean. They could do that for another few years before they, you know what I mean. Um, they're just two superstars, you know. So if one of them, if they fight and then one of them loses and has to drop them back down, I think they're smart by keeping them both busy and, and not fighting each other. And uh, of course, this weekend UFC 207. Um, when it comes to when you know it's not one of your guys fighting, uh, what, what are some of the fights that get you excited? It, does the UFC 207 card get you excited? Yeah, I love fights, man. You know what I mean. On uh, you know Friday nights, I love watching Access TV. I was you know I'll have my kids, and once they fall asleep, that's kind of what I do. I watch. Axis or, you know, Bellator or the UFC. I watch them all, man. You know what I mean? I uh, I love it, man. I, I love watching fights. And I, I love, you know, just seeing new talent. And you obviously, Ronda Rousey coming back, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things where you kind of, you know, people are just so, like, anticipated to see what's going to happen, you know, who's going to show up, man. It's, yeah, this fight's it's, it's awesome, man. I, me, I like the uh, the Garbrandt-Cruz uh, fight. That's, that's one that I've been waiting for for a long time. That's one of those fights that, if Cody wins, I think it's in the first 10 minutes. If this gets into 100%. the third round, I think this is Cruz's fight to lose. But again, we don't know because we've never seen Cody go in the second and third round. I don't know if he's going to gas out because he's one of them guys that comes so hard and he throws with so much power and he's fast and he's in your face. Maybe he, ha you know, those team alpha male guys are freak shows, man. They're always in great shape. So maybe he can do it five rounds. We don't know. That's Those are the questions that are going to be answered. So, But that's my opinion. I think if he doesn't win the fight within the first two rounds, it's going to be the same old Donovan Cruz bobbing and weaving, switching stances, getting takedowns off awkward angles. He's unbelievable at it, man. I love watching that guy fight. It's just so impressive, man. See, for a guy to make TJ Dillashaw start to stand flat-footed because they're so frustrated, it's pretty impressive. Man. See, I, I, the way I look at it is if you're the UFC owners, I think you've got to be hoping for a Cody win because Cody has that fighting style that's going to get people to the television set where dom's a great fighter one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world but he has a fight you know and and I, I watch these fights with with friends that i wouldn't call them hardcore fans i wouldn't call them casual fans or somewhere kind of in the middle dominic cruz's st fighting style isn't exactly a fighting style they love to watch no i agree but the only thing that really impresses me is is uh is how he wins and how he doesn't get touched you know, his footwork, I was live when he fought TJ Dillashaw. And it was a very close fight. Some people thought, you know what I mean? I, I, I did think Dominic Cruz won. I thought, you know what I mean? It was I a very too. close fight. And I had to, I remember having to go and watch it. And it was, at the end of the day, I was like, man, this fight could go either way. Like, it was such a close fight. But how he wins these fights is so impressive, man. I just love watching his footwork. He's not a power puncher. He's a great wrestler. And 
And he's just so good with those strikes. It's like you never know what's coming, man. He's switching stances, throwing head kick, low kick, overhand. Like it's just it's a wild style. That's why I like watching him fight because it's not boring to me. You know what I mean? It's it's still entertaining yeah. because he stays busy and he throws a lot of punches and he moves around a lot. It's not boring to me. That's why I like it. It's not like, you know, you're going on watching some snooze fest guy that you know, he just holds him down and sits there for twenty five minutes. You know, it's still entertaining. But I think you're right. I think that uh, Cody's a modern-day Chuck Liddell, man. Like, he comes out and he just slugs it out. And he's got great wrestling. And, and he's just tough. And, you know, he's a good-looking kid. He's marketable. You know, he, he's – if he doesn't win this title now, trust me, mark my words, he will win it within the next four years. I mean, Dominic Cruz, to me, he is the most underrated trash talker there is. And, and Cody should oh. not try to get into a trash talking game with Dominic because Dominic's going to make him look stupid like he did on Fox where he's like, goes, dude, what are you talking about? He, Dude, Dominic is an intelligent guy, and, and, I, and I think he's the best analyst on Fox. Like He's so good, and, and, and that's obviously what he's going to do when he's done fighting, man. He's so awesome at, at that job, and... uh he is. He's very underrated. He keeps it pretty much under wraps. But I don't know if you saw his interviews on TMZ Sports. He, he's unbelievable. Going, he's unbelievable dude, with, with his trash talk. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. And uh, I, I think him and Brian Sander are the two best ones. I would love to see Dominic get in that color commentating role because I think he would do an amazing I job. I agree. You know, I mean, to me, Brian you know, Brian Sander's one of those guys as someone who's been in broadcasting for for a while now. He he does a great job of breaking down things to where the non the, the casual MMA fan he can explain what's going on. You know, sometimes I think we well, get the, it. The thing, the thing that I like about Brian Stan and uh, Dominic Cruz is I always think that you should have one guy in the commentary that has been in there. Yeah, you know what I mean. You have Joe Rogan, who's a great voice, but I I just think when you have a guy that's been in the cage and he's dealt with adversity and he's been in all these situations, I think that that's. It's always good to have a guy like that, man, because they can always explain things better. Yeah, no, and and it's you know it's I remember when I when I started on radio and I was doing uh, high school football on the radio, and and my program director said to me, he goes, look, he goes, you can't just say, well, the Mike linebacker came up the a gap. He goes, because majority of the people listening have no clue what you're talking about. You're talking <laughs> some foreign language, and, and I do, you know, sometimes watching, you know, especially you know, uh, regional fights on, on a stream. You hear someone call, calling the fights, and I'm like, man, if you don't know MMA terminology, you have no clue what you're saying. But I think guys like Stan and, and Cruz and, and DC do a really good job of breaking it down to where the common person can understand. Okay, that's what they're doing. No, I agree, 100. percent I think that. Uh... Brian Stan or or Cody would be the you know the perfect guy to film because this is Mike Goldberg's last his last that's, show right that's what it, that's the, the rumors is and just being in the industry my guess is probably his contract was coming to an end I'll, I'll be very yeah. interested to see who they if Jim Rome is the replacement I think that is a recipe for disaster me too I he I, like I've never even heard of that guy talk about the UFC like well, I, I don't you, you got to have someone who has play by play experience. And, yeah. and calling MMA. I mean, do we want another Gus Johnson um, situation? I mean, you got to find somebody who who knows it. And also, and just because I've I've done these type of things where you go out for a gig, you know, if you're going for a play by play job, the color guy is probably in your test to where you're in yeah. a closed room and you're calling the fights. And you know, whether it's Joe Rogan or, or Stan, I was surprised that they just went and elevate John Anik up. John, you know who else? I mean, you got John Anik, Ryan Stan's great, uh, Dominic Cruz is great. Daniel Cormier was actually good too when he did the John Jones fight. But you know who else is awesome is uh, Frank Mir, man. Remember him in the WEC yeah. days? Yeah, he that was awesome, man. 
He's is he under suspension now? I think so. They well, he's won. he's not technically under suspension yet because he's still going through that whole arbitration process. Yeah. Um, but under, he, him in the WEC, I thought he was unbelievable as a commentator. Yeah. No, he he was he was tremendous there. And but you know when you th- think about the the play by play guy, the, the Mike Goldberg role, there's not exactly a ton of those guys in MMA out there that have done it at, at the the high levels. You know, oh, it, I agree. It's it's a tough gig. I, I'm in play by play broadcasting, and people they don't understand how tough it is. I mean, you oh, really yeah. you have no no idea. I mean, because what a lot of people don't understand is when someone's calling, whether it's a football game or MMA fight, there is someone in your ear constantly talking to you. So you almost you're you're, try, you're trying to do two things, and when you have someone talking in your ear at the same time while you're trying to talk, it's really difficult to get. I'm used to it now. But when I first started, I'd be like, hey, you don't talk to me until I'm done talking. Because it can yeah, really screw it. It screws you up. My, my coach, Mark Delagrati, that's his job right now. He works for the UFC, and he's always he's always in Joe Rogan's ear. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, like every time they switch cameras and stuff like that, he's in his ear on the little earpiece. So that's Mark's job. So he said the same thing. He's like, uh, you know, you, it's it's a constant like communication. You know what I mean? Like Joe will ask him something, and then he has to you know give him answers on certain things. So yeah, it's it's definitely not as easy as it looks for sure. Yeah, well, it's also easy when Joe doesn't have to talk all the time, where you you have that 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 kind of going there. But you know, two hundred seven, a, a lot of the talk obviously is about Ronda Rousey, uh, the lack of promotion from her side. You know, you you feel bad for Amanda Nunez because this is a, a life changing fight for her. It's on a Friday, so pay per view buys would not be what they were say be on a Saturday night. But you know, a lot of people are are kind of going into that psychology of Ronda Rousey. For you as a fighter and coach, do you like what she's doing here? That everything's about the fight. I was, you know, I was listening to Joe Rogan on his podcast, and and, and I kind of agree with him. Um, he he does because he thinks that you know she's she's just kind of going all in on the fight. She's not worrying about anything else. You know what I mean? Like you see, like when Conor fought Aldo, they went on this whole road, you know, the world tour thing. It just takes so much time, and uh, you know, with Ronda losing her last fight, you know. It, I don't think she – if you look at her her body and stuff, she definitely wasn't in shape like she usually is when she fought Holly Holm. You know what I mean? She, I don't think she was able to train as hard. I just think she had so many other obligations outside of fighting that she had to do. So I, I think it's smart on her part. You know what I mean? She's like, you know, I, I'm, I mean business this time. Like I'm, I'm going to get, I'm gonna come here in shape and, you know, I'm going to give you the best Ronda Rousey you've ever seen. And I don't know if you've seen her on Conan O'Brien a few weeks ago. Like she's in sick shape, man. Yeah, so. I mean, I guess I heard the um, it was probably two or three weeks ago. She was like weighing 140 pounds. I mean, she was, so she yeah, was walking she around at, at a lighter weight. To me, I still the concerning thing to me is the coaching. She didn't make any change in the coaching. And anyone who's listened to Edmund Turverdian, I was joking about this on my preview podcast I did this week. I almost just want to watch this pay per view via UFC TV so I can listen to what he says because it baffles me. The I mean, you know this as a coach. I mean, you, you gotta you know you know spout out things to your fighter. It's amazing to me how bad he is as a cornerman. He's an idiot. Like anybody who tries to fight Fabricio Verdum after the fight has got a serious <laughs> issue. Like Fabricio will squash that guy. I'm like, and you know, if you look at the just look at all the people that he's coached. Ronda Rousey is the only one who's won anything. You know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. lost. Like Travis Brown, I love Travis Brown, but he has looked like a shell of himself within the last four or five fights. Like, he has not been the same guy he was when he first started in the UFC. When he first started in the UFC, people were like, this guy's going to be the next world champ. And I thought the same thing. And then, uh, who else? Ellenberger went with him, and, and all these guys just kept losing. Like, you 
in my opinion, Ronda needs to be a part of a camp. She needs to go to like a Jackson's or an AKA or someplace like that. Especially um, with the amount of money she has, she can she can yeah. afford to bring in coaches. I know. Yeah, exactly. She could afford to bring her own training camp in, like uh, who Rampage did that back in the day, yeah. the Muscle Farm thing. We brought in all these coaches, you know. But I, I think she should just get out of her element and just go stay at a camp. You know what I mean? It's where, where the whole main focus is just fighting. There's nothing else there. Like you know, that would be the best thing for her. But again, maybe she's a person who just can't deal with that and doesn't want to do that. I know, for instance, like Brennan Ward, he hates training camps. Hates it. Like he doesn't want to be a part of that. Like he just kind of, he's like me. Like he always trains. There's no training camp for him. He always spars. He always trains. He always wrestles. He doesn't want to be a part of a camp and like a team thing. Like that's just not his style. Maybe Ronda's like that. I mean, I, I don't know. But she obviously trusts. Or Edmonds. I don't know. He's in her head. Like he's influenced I mean, her somehow because the, the she only, hasn't left him. The only thing I can think of is that maybe you know, and and some fires will tell you, hey, I'm a crappy cornerman. You don't want me in your corner. I'm not good at it. I, I know that. Maybe he's a good coach in the gym. That's the only thing I can point towards. Oh, I know. I agree. You know, but and, and I, my thing with Ronda is I just don't know where. And yeah. I don't think her striking is anything spectacular. If you go back to, I watched the, you know, because they've been showing the UFCs on uh, Fox Sports 1 yeah. like all week, all Ronda fights. And if you go back to even the fights she's won, she still is like, if she fights a, a striker that's any good, she's going to get caught. You know, she just leaves her head in the middle and she's just straightforward. There's no like side to side, forward and backward, no angles, no nothing. Like her striking stayed the same. She just got exposed in the Holly Holm fight. That was it. It, it. And if she fights like that against Amanda, she's going to get knocked out. Like, you know, she stays here. She leaves her head in the middle. She just goes straight forward. She does the same thing on Friday night. She's going to get knocked out again. Like, I don't think her striking's gotten any better. Yeah, I remember um, Dan Hardy was talking about this this week. He says, even go back to the Betch Cohea fight, when she knocked out Betch, she was not really in a boxing stance. She was just straight at her. And she just, it was it was all the, the strength for her judo from her hips. That's where she was able to knock her out. And I just look at this, and I've been telling people, Amanda Nunez is no joke. And nope. if, this, if Amanda can stop the takedowns, I, I, I can't see how Ronda wins this fight. No, I agree. And and obviously Amanda's a black belt on the ground too. I mean, she uh she submitted Misha. She's she beat um Shevchenko. Like she's beat some really tough girls. It's kinda like under the radar that not a lot of people know about. I mean it's gonna be tough. Um Katz and Gano gave her problems, but she's more of a wrestler. Like Ronda doesn't have like the double leg takedowns. No. You know, she's just got the judo throw. And and Holly Holm, I think, kinda left the blueprint on how to defend that. You know what I mean? She did an excellent job. And Amanda's a really big girl too. She's like Holly. She's a big one thirty-five. So uh, it's very, it's very intriguing for me. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. If, if you know, I think Ronda is going to go straight forward and do that blitz of punches and try to get her to the clinch and try to throw her. But if Amanda defends a couple of shots, I think you're going to see the same old thing. I think Ronda's going to get tired and frustrated quick, and you know she could get knocked out again. I mean, and 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 again, who's to say where? Obviously, where her head's at? Like with all this media stuff going on. And uh, then you heard, you know, there was rumors about her backstage when they did the face-off thing that she was like a mess, you know, mentally. Yeah. You know, who knows where her head's at? And she hasn't – Amanda's stayed busy, like, in the past year. Like, she's had a lot of fights. And Ronda sat on the shelf, and half the time she probably wasn't even training, you know. So it's it's interesting. You know what I mean? Ronda's an elite-level athlete, um, so I would never count her out, and, and her grappling's world-class. But uh, I think Amanda's on a roll right now. And uh, confidence-wise, I think Amanda's on a whole other level compared to Ronda right now. And that could be the huge key factor. I don't think this fight gets out of the first round. 
Either do I. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's either. I mean, I'm picking a man Nunez. I wouldn't say I'm like, oh, it's a lock. Um, Ronda can clearly win this fight. I mean, she, if she's able to close that distance and, and use her judo to get the fight to ground and look for that armbar, I mean, yeah, she can win this fight. But I just, I, I think in, in, it seems to be, and you can talk about this, in women's MMA, it's kind of like men's MMA 20 years ago, where you could be, have one side of the game that you were so good in and it could carry you for so long. And I feel like when Ronda was, you know, early in her reign, you could be that in the women's game. But I, I feel like now when I watch women's fights, the, the days of the one-dimensional fighter are over. You have to be everything. No, I agree. They're all getting better. I mean, look at uh, Ioana. I mean, her yeah. wrestling takedown defense is getting unbelievable. But look what she's done. She's moved to American Top Team. She's got all these great training partners now. Now they got both the champs. Amanda's there, too. They got both the champs there. So they have a huge women's team to train with. That's what Ronda needs, and uh, and I think that's going to be the difference, man. I mean, the training partners and just the training in general, is, it's a huge thing, and all these girls are so well-rounded now. You know, uh, even Misha, you saw the difference between Misha's striking and Amanda's striking was it was huge. There was a big gap there, and uh, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think all these girls are getting very well-rounded, and uh, just being a, a judo practitioner is not going to get it done anymore. Um, these girls are going to be able to defend all that stuff. Uh, Ronda's done the same thing time and time over again. And it's it's only going to be a matter of time before you get to switch it up. You know what I mean? So we'll see. Again, I, I wouldn't count Ronda out, but uh, I could definitely see Amanda being the more well-rounded and having more tools to be able to de- uh, defend those takedowns and standing up. Uh, Ronda's no match for her. No way. In terms of women's MMA, have you noticed um, you know more females have started coming to the gym over the past couple of years as opposed to you know way before? It's the Otong right now. There's got to be on Saturdays sometimes it's bigger than the man's team. I kind of get a little intimidated. <laughs> there's uh, a <laughs> there's a lot of girls there training, man, and there's a lot of them that are really good, and uh, you know, a lot of young girls like Kalini, who just fought for the Invicta uh, Championship mm-hmm. against Angela Hill. Her Sarah Click, who's also fought for Invicta. There, there's a lot of girls that are uh, on the up and coming, and um. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting to see, you know, the girls get in there and mix it up, you know, and, it, and it's great for them because, you know, there's a good eight to 10 girls there and they're all training with, you know, every, a lot, you know, there's a couple of this one girl is a black belt jiu-jitsu. There's another girl who's a good wrestler. Kalini's a really good striker. So they're all kind of all, you know, they're all going to get better going with each other. You, you mentioned uh, TJ Dillashaw a little earlier. Dillashaw Lineker may be the best fight. I mean, of course, we'll, we'll see if John Lineker makes oh. weight. I guess that, that becomes the first battle. Does it? Does he make weight? But that to me, that's you know, in terms of weight cutting, um, you know, early weigh-ins is now part of the thing. You've you've been around with guys on your team. Is there more advantages to have that earlier weigh-in as opposed to the traditional four or five o'clock weigh-in? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, when these guys are cutting weight, you're taking fluid and water out of your brain. You know what I mean? So if you can have that extra, however long it is, you know, what is it, ten p.m. compared to five or yeah. four p.m. Those extra few hours will definitely help. I mean, it can't hurt. You know what I mean? Um, I definitely think it's a huge benefit. I think it's the best thing that the UFC did, man. Because now when these guys go to the weigh-in and they show it on TV, you know, they're already rehydrated and they're happy. And it kind of makes the guys a little more enthusiastic. And the weigh-ins have gotten a lot more fun to watch. But, man, it's, it's you know, we, we've started playing this game on the on the preview shows that I do. It's like, well, who's going to miss weight? Because it seems like every UFC show, there's at least yeah. one fighter. And, and the negative thing I've heard is that, for the fighters who are cutting massive amounts of weight that they basically don't sleep the night before because they're so worried about being able to make weight. Oh, absolutely. 
I, I mean, I, I have made 185 twice. And when I tell you, it was like a three-day weight cut. And it was the worst, most miserable thing I've ever done in my life. And, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're just constantly thinking about it. Like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And your heart's racing through the roof. And every couple hours, you got to get up to take a colder shower to, you know, get your heart rate down. Like, it's it's brutal, man. It's it's and, and these guys that cut so much. Like, imagine Anthony Johnson going to 170. Like, it's just unbelievable. It's I've amazing he did that. Story. I've heard horror stories about my buddies that were there when he made 170, and they were like, it was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Like, it's ridiculous. It's That's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. It's just, and there's some guys you see him walk around there. Douglas Lima is one of those. I, it amazes me that he makes 170. He looks like a 205er. Yes. He I, literally does. He looks like a, I remember when he fought Rick Khan. Rick Khan's a buddy of mine. And I remember seeing them, and I'm like, these guys look like they're in three different weight classes. Like, he looks like he's three weight classes above him. Like, he is a monster. I mean, I don't know how the heck he makes that weight. Like, but he does, and he does every time. I don't think he's ever missed weight. Yeah, you mentioned about Rick Hahn, and, you know, his fight with Douglas Lima, Faraz Ahabi is actually, he's the one who stopped the fight. He, he's like, you know what, yeah. I'm saving my fighter. And, you know, they, they talk about that culture in MMA. For you as a coach, do you ever have that conversation with your fighters of like, look, if you're getting pounded, I'm going to save you at some point? Oh, yeah. And I, I won't even have it with them. I'll just do it myself because if they say something, they'll smack them. Like if I, don't, if I think a guy's getting beat up and he shouldn't be and it's just unnecessary, stop the fight, man. It's just you see it happen in boxing a lot, too. Like, it, you know, you, you can't I don't know. I hate seeing guys just take a beating. It's like if you know a guy's not going to win and he's just getting pounded, there's, it's just not necessary for him to just keep going because that's when the trauma really happens. You know, you see in boxing fights, a guy will get dropped in the second round. Then he gets up and then he just survives the next eight rounds to lose a decision. But it's like that pounding he took is going to be something that's going to change his life. And... It, it, there's times I watch fights, I'm like, and I use the analogy of, does anyone in that fighter's corner care about him? I, I, and I go yeah. back to oh, I, I go back to the, the two victories Cain Velasquez over JDS. How is there not someone in JDS' corner that just goes, stop it, stop it, I'm saving my fighter, I'm not going to let him take damage? What? actually like upset me is the chris weidman luke rockhold fight yeah like his dad's in the corner like if my like how the hell do you not throw the towel over like he, chris weidman's never gonna be the, he, he hasn't been the same since like you know what i mean like that he just took such a beating in that fight like it's brutal man I, yeah i don't get it man. I, I really don't i mean uh and for herb dean to let that fight go on like that is just beyond me that the hector lombard neil magny fight was the same way <laughs> Oof, yeah it's just, you know, these fights have changed these fighters. You know what I mean? I don't think these fighters have been the same since then. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time a towel got thrown in a UFC fight was right as Josh Thompson knocked out Nate Diaz as Nick threw the towel in. It was like, I'm saving yeah. my brother. Yeah, no, it's awesome, man. It's good to see that, man, because it should happen more, you know? But the crazy thing is, in MMA rules, throwing in the towel is not in the unified rules. Really? Yeah, it's not. It's because I, I remember having a conversation with an executive director about it, and they said, like, look, the referee will honor it, but it's not in the unified rules. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Ref, I mean, any referee, I'm pretty sure, would stop it if they saw that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, but there's times where, I mean, I mean, referees, we've seen referees either it's a late stoppage or it's an early stoppage. I mean, yeah. a, as a fighter, do you almost have to kind of start thinking about scouting out who's a ref to make sure whether you know whether he's got a quick tr trigger finger or not? And that's the thing that's so hard. It's like, uh, you know, you see some fighters that 
they kind of you think that they get screwed out of an early stoppage, and then you see some guys that get their end up getting their head pounded in. Even with me, like in the Gooch fight, like he dropped me, I didn't go totally out, and then he hit me with a couple hammer fists, and the ref stopped in. But I got right up. But I didn't complain. Like I like some guys were like, "That's an early stoppage," and I'm like, "No, it wasn't." Like I, I, because I'd rather have him stop it there than have me unconscious taking four more elbows to my head because yeah. that could change the whole. You know, I mean, that could change everything. Like you don't, I, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. So you know, I, I don't do that to anybody else. Like I've had a couple of knockouts where I just walk away because I'm like, I don't need to go over to this guy and hit him three or four more times. It's just not necessary. You know what I mean? I've seen it here in Florida at, at, at local fights where I'm just like sitting there going, and there's certain referees in the state you just know they're just not good, <laughs> and 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 there's times where I'm like, just stop the fight, stop the fight, like you know, it's just like you know, let this guy live to fight another day instead of just you know, as you said, those type of late stoppages, they they, they take years off of a career, and especially when guys are basically unconscious, that's when you get your jaw broken or your orbital broken. You know, stuff like that. And, and and obviously, it's two punches could change the difference. You know what I mean? That's the difference between a guy not breaking his jaw and breaking his jaw. And then if he does, you know what I mean? He's out for eight months. You know what I mean? So it changes everything. It does. As a fighter outside of the UFC, uh, obviously, one of the big things going on is the Fire Association. You know, you've got the uh, MMAAA. You've got the MMAFA, which is supposed to be for all fighters. But to me, one thing I always say is there's so much concentration on, well, what's this going to do for a UFC fighter? Is there ever a party you can go, well, what about me? What about this guy that's on the quote-unquote regional scene? And if there's something goes on, why are you not looking out for me? Yeah, no, it, it is true. But, I mean, obviously they're going to start with the big guys. They're going to start with the big boys. That's how it's going to get done. It's not going to get done on CES, on Access TV. It's going to start with the UFC and with Bellator and stuff like that before it goes anywhere. So so I get it, you know what I mean? Um you know, I, I think eventually it will come. I mean, I don't think Bjorn Rebney is the answer. <laughs> you know, a, lo- a lot of those guys who kind of jumped on that bandwagon are pretty much all off. Um, I don't really know the guy personally, so I can't say anything, but apparently he's kind of an idiot. So, uh, you know, I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, they've been really quiet ever since, uh, you know, at the first week or two, they were very out open. And, uh, you know, after the fact, it's really nothing's come out since then. Um, even Zero. Tim, even Tim Kennedy's been pretty quiet. You really haven't heard yep. much. So, you, you know, and then I keep hearing there's another fire association that's about to go, uh, public here within the next week or two. Um, you know, it, it's, and I'm, and look, I'm all for helping the fires out whatever way it's going to be, but it's got to be done right. No, I agree. I agree. You know, there's just, I know. Two, there's just, I think it will happen eventually, but I don't know when. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention to you, obviously being on, do you, do you like the term regional fighter? Um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? It's uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Like I, regional so- fighter. I mean, the fights are on Access TV. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. So I mean, uh, I, I you know I think that since CES is side of Access TV, I still look at them as a regional show, but a lot of other people don't mm-hmm. because it's kind of more national. You know what I mean? It's like a more national televised show. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like a step up from the regional. It's like the AAA league. I don't know. <laughs> but there's – I mean, but the thing is, there is – and I, I give a lot of credit to CES. I, I think that from a PR aspect, they have done a tremendous job over the last year and a yeah, half of, yeah. uh, of getting you guys out in front of media that 
is not in the Northeast. Maybe down yep. where I'm at in Florida or in California or somewhere else around the around North America. I, I think that's where CES and, and I think a lot of these regional promotions need to look at what promotions like CES are doing. The fact of bringing in PR people who are you know elevating the level of the brand and also the fighters. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just going to escalate the whole business, man. You know what I mean? It's going to it's going to you know open it up to a, a bigger audience all you know all over the country. So yeah, no, I agree with you. The unfortunate thing about this weekend with with the UFC card is no one's talking about the World Series of Fighting event in, in New York City. Justin Gaethje, who I call just much watched television, uh, is oh, yeah. a guy that uh, I definitely want to watch. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the World Series of Fighting going forward. I mean, God bless guys like Gaethje and Marais for making the kind of money they're making. Um, it's great. I, like, why why would why would Marais want to sign with the UFC when he's making that kind of money? Like, you know, it's just. Like, it's he's cra- fighting lesser competition, whether people want to admit it or not. He is, yes, and he's getting of paid more money than most of the guys in the UFC. So, he. But what is the whole deal with that? Is people are. I was saw that on Twitter. A lot of people thinking they're going to go out of business, or. Well, there's been the financial it, it, the financial questions with the World Series of Fighting, and, and, and they're they're an organization that is in transition. I look at it from someone who who looks at the business side of it. How can you pay Gaethje and Marais the amount of money you're making and make money? Trust me, because when the last time they came to uh, Foxwoods, I went to that show, and there was probably 500 people there. Yeah, you're not making money. Because I know with no. their television deal... It was, it was Seriously, it was a quarter of the size of a CES show. Yeah, I mean, I know, and I think where they can struggle with is I don't think they bring in the right ticket sellers for those preliminary yeah. cards. I mean, you look at this New York City card. First off, if I live in New York City, do I want to go to Madison Square Garden on New Year's Eve if I don't want to be a part of that whole New York City New Year's Eve, uh, you know, festivities? Well, they better make something out of it. You know, if that, maybe if uh, the World Series of Fighting Cage turns into a dance club afterwards or some <laughs> kind of package they got going on, that's what they're going to need to sell it. But I agree with you. I mean. Are they going to do the fights earlier? Like, what if the fights go past midnight? Like, no, no, no it's, a, it's, in, it's, in the, it's in the afternoon. Oh, it is in the afternoon. Yeah, uh, oh. I want to say the uh, the dot com prelims start like two o'clock ish, and then okay, um, well, that worked out. And then you've got a, an hour card on NBCSN. I think starts at three, and then the main card is on NBC at, at four o'clock. But you know, it, even if you know you're in that area, so the fights get over six o'clock ish. I don't, I don't, I've been in New York a couple of times, but I can't imagine leaving MSG is going to be easy on New Year's Eve at six o'clock at no, night. I agree. I agree. Cause what they shut down the whole Times square and there's a, over a million people around the streets. It's going to be mayhem. I mean, <laughs> look, look as, as someone who, who worked in bar marketing for a long time, I just, I don't go out New Year's Eve. I sit at home. It's, it's, I, I bartended for 10 years. It's amateur night. And uh, yeah, it's an amateur night, absolute amateur night. I, I, you know, I used to wear. I didn't just wear headgear and sparring. I used to wear it to the bar, like on New Year's when I when I oh. bartended. It was just a joke, man. It was such a joke. Work, work. And I don't either. I'm actually going to a wedding. A buddy of mine's getting married on New Year's Eve this year, so that, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I, but if there wasn't a wedding to go to, I would be staying home. Like I would probably be sleeping by eleven. As someone who worked in a club, Thursday through Saturday nights. Nights like New Year's Eve, um, God, Cinco de Mayo is another one. It's just amateur night. I mean, those would be the nights I would hate to work. I'd be like, oh man, this is gonna be awful. Yep, because every person comes out. That's yeah. It's, it's just a 
It's not. It, it's not the crowd that comes out on a on an average Friday or Saturday night. It's the people that That's only go out a couple times like, a year. Yeah, it was never my regulars. My regulars that always came every weekend. It was great. I had a good time. I knew them personally. But you know, New Year's came out, and it was these guys that haven't been out all year. That their, their wife let them out of the house, and then you know they kind of <laughs> just let it all loose. <laughs> so you're not the MMA fire that was a a bouncer at say a strip club. Nope. I was always the bartender behind the bar. I was safe, safe from everybody. That's you. That's usually the story. A, a bouncer at a club, strip club. That's usually a good chance you have to fire. They, they, you know, you got a, a yes on that answer. Yeah, no, that's usually. Um, there was definitely a few guys that worked with me that were bouncers, that were fighters, either boxers or MMA fighters. But I made more money behind the bar, and it was it was a much safer job. So I I, I preferred that. And, Mention about the regional scene. I I saw something there other week on on Facebook that I just thought was career suicide for for a local fighter who who came out and said I'm done being a local ticket seller. If I mean, I, and I was sitting there going, if you're this guy's manager, are you like, dude, delete that immediately? Because if I'm a promoter, why would I bring you in? I agree. You know, um, especially yeah, especially at the local level because you know a lot of these shows that's obviously what they rely on you know um with me i'm lucky because you know i have a lot of friends that are on the card you know map set and joe ping and andre and cody those guys sell a ton of tickets so i really don't have to do too much because I'm, I'm i'll be honest with you selling tickets is like the, the last thing that i want to do at this point i used to do it all the time but it is it's a pain in the butt yeah but you know i still do sell tickets but i still have you know, more of my fans just go and they buy tickets at the door. So I still always have people there. You know what I mean? But selling tickets does, it, it becomes a headache and it really does. And I, uh, so I can see why fighters, you know, you know, I can see why they're like that. But I, rem- I remember you sell tickets to fights better be damn exciting. Yeah. That's all I can say. I remember being at, I guess one of my first introductions to Matt Bissett was when he uh, took on Diego Nunez and, Yep. And then it, the the whole upper level of Mohegan Sun must have just been all Matt Bissett fans. And I said, I go, this kid's making a lot of money tonight because he sold a crap ton of tickets. He did. No, I was one of the guys that was there to see him, man. I screamed like a little fanboy when he won. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I remember on press row, there was a lot of people who didn't, didn't agree with that decision. I was like, if you really watch the fight, he won the fight. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very close fight. Um, I, you know, I, I I never watched it again after that, but I remember saying, like, damn, I got to watch that fight again. Yeah, it was, it was extremely close. close yeah. Obviously, I'm glad Matt won. You know, he's my buddy. Man, so. But when you're when you're at that cage side, you there's things you see that whether, you know, sometimes in a, a fight I point to is Desmond Green and Mike Richmond that took place in Bellator. A lot of people thought Mike Richmond won the fight, but being at, at cage side level, the thing I noticed was, yeah, Mike was throwing a lot of fight, a lot of punches, but they were all missing. I think he only landed like 20% yeah. of his strikes. I said, that's why the judges gave it to Des Green. That's why I I know we rail on judges, but, you know, it's a tough job. And especially depending on the cage and the Bellator cage is an awful cage because there is blind spots where you will see judges will will actually stand up to see what's going on. I've also seen camera guys get in front of the judge, which I'm like, oh, man, come on, camera guy. You got to (laughs) move. No, I agree. You know what? They should put the judges in a room. By themselves, yeah. Like in the back of the Mohegan, and just have them watch it on a monitor. Well, New Jersey uh, has been trying that out. But I remember that K- CFFC, I think. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is in New Jersey, especially now with MMA in New York. Um, you know, obviously there's issues with New York, but it's New Jersey's losing shows because of that. 
Oh yeah, no, I bet. You know, I mean, it's it's just you know, especially you know, like the the Buffaloes and the Syracuses. There's gonna be a lot of promotions that go there. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I did get a couple questions. Uh, you know, one of the questions someone got asked me: Do you go out and watch UFC pay per views at bars, or, or do you sit no. at home? <laughs> you know what? My my thing is, I'll always be uh, sitting on the couch, and I'll you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm not gonna order it. I'm not gonna do anything, and then I'll watch <laughs> the prelims. And I'll be like, oh, these fights are great. And then I get sucked into it. Yeah, of course. But a lot of times my boxing coach, uh, Dave Keefe, he orders them. So, like, you okay. know, all the guys from the team, we always go over there and watch them. You know, it got- and, you know what? I'm going to tell you why I hate going to the bars. Because when I go to the bar, everybody's a jiu-jitsu black belt. Everybody knows <laughs> Muay Thai. And everybody's like a – and I just sit there. And, you know, I'm not one of those guys that wears tap-out shirts. I'll wear a sweater to the bar. But people look at my ears and the size of my head. And they're kind of, you know, they can kind of guess that I've yeah. either trained or fought. And I just, oh, it drives me nuts. I just laugh. It's it's almost like going to a regional show and sitting in the back. I like to sit right up in the front because, no, you know what I mean? I don't have to listen to anybody. But if you go to a regional show and sit in the back, everybody knows Muay Thai. Everybody knows how to, you know, block a punch, check kicks. Everybody's got the best double leg in the planet. And it just, it, it doesn't really bother me. I just laugh about it. But I hate watching these fights at bars because these guys are all, they just know how to, you know. Oh, no. Half I... these guys look like they've never even seen the inside of a gym, never mind train. When I go to a regional show, I love being in the back. It's great. It's the greatest people watching ever. I mean, oh, I love. I love. I pe- put a lawn chair up there. I, never mind the fights. I just want to watch the people. It, it, it's it's. But I'll tell you the one mistake I see out a lot of, especially down here in Florida, regional promoters, they don't do a good job. Like when you see like there's a fighter first, second, third fight, and he has clearly sold the most tickets. He shouldn't be in the first three fights of the night. He should no, be at the end of the card. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the last regional show I went to, three quarters of the place had left before the Cobain event started. And oh, I was, yeah, I bet. And I go, that was an awful job by the promoter. He should be putting those ticket sellers later on the car, but it's, it's one. But yeah, some the people watching is amazing. Coaching from a coaching standpoint, that actually works out well because <laughs> I had a kid, I had one of my guys who fought in the main event, and same deal, the place was dead empty. It was he fought late. It was almost midnight. And there was nobody in the place when he fought in the main event, but he could hear every word that I said, so it was great. <laughs> that, that's my you know, but but Johan Promotions is actually the the company that sells pay per views to the UFC, and uh, you know, there's been some stories about how they're suing people. And look, if you're a business owner and you don't use Johan Promotions, you expect a lawsuit, and it's going to be a six figure lawsuit out there. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting. Johan is actually asking bars who purchase UFC pay-per-views now to turn in other bars that are illegally showing it, which I'm like, come on. Like, the bar, bar owners really don't want to be a snitch unless they absolutely hate each other. Because they, they shut down a bar in Boston for, for doing UFCs. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, for, I, for, I, I mean, you know, you know this being in the bar industry in your past. You, if you come and you sue a bar and let's say, you know, the judgment is even $50,000 or even lower, that's going to take a lot of bars out of business. Yeah. It, it's just, it's no, not it, the advice I always tell people is if you're not going to buy it through Johan, it's not worth the risk. It's just not. No. Yeah. And honestly, when it comes to UFC, no, I agree, and when it comes to UFC pay-per-views, if I'm a bar, I'm only showing it when, when you're Connor or Ronda's fighting because that, that's the only time it's going to draw a huge audience. I mean, I, I where I live in Providence, man, they they have like three bars that play them, and they're packed every time. They always, you know, they do specials and all that stuff. They do the right yeah. things to get people in there. They are mobbed every time there's a UFC on, no matter who's fighting. 
Oh, I, I saw there. There's a bar here in Tampa, and I and they're they're doing a, a twenty dollar cover charge, but it's open bar nine nine to eleven. So you, you got you know hour four, an hour into pay per view, yeah. and I'm like, God, I can only imagine what that place is like at about twelve thirty when these fights are over. I'm like, guarantee yeah. there's there's at least one fight happening. There's at least one Bro, fight in the bar. Sure, yeah. You know, I, sure. I, I, I remember being in a bar one time, and this guy started talking crap to a guy. I went up to the guy who was clearly uh, hammered, and I said, hey, you probably shouldn't talk bad to that guy. He goes, what do you mean? I go, that's a UFC fighter right there. He could he could really kill you. You know, but it, it's it's just, it's that, you know, that liquid encouragement. That That's the best it way is. I call it. Liquid encouragement. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone thinks they're, they're Johnny Tough Guy, but, uh, but yeah, if you're a bar... I, if you don't buy it through Johan Promotions, I'm telling you, don't do it. Otherwise, you're just going to kill your business. Yeah, you're going to get screwed big time. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw this. It was uh, there was a story on Bloody Elbow about two two or three weeks ago where a jiu-jitsu gym had shown it, and Johan found out about it, sued him, and now that gym is closed. That's unbelievable because there it's you know it's not a residence. It's it's a business. So you you got yeah. and it, it's not cheap. I mean, you know. It's based on your seating capacity, but you can pretty much figure. You know, for most bars, it's going to be at least a thousand dollars. Oh, I bet. You know, and but again, if you're a bar, you're going to easily make that back. I mean, you know, as long as you don't get a couple of tables that come in and just drink water. True, and I've seen that. I've seen that. Oh. I I remember being in a bar one time where it was a, a a big table. It probably sat like eight people, and they're just drinking waters. Manager comes over and he goes, "Fellas, if you're not going to uh, start here getting food or alcohol." You got to get up because I've got guys here pounding beers that they would like that seat. Wait, that table. Yeah. I mean, and but it's it, you hear it all the time. But uh, I'm looking forward to 207. I, I, like you said, co main, co main event in, in the other bantamweight fight uh, on that card. Uh, also, Dong Young Kim, first fight since uh, I want to say almost a year and a half or so. It's yeah. been, been a long time since we've seen him, so so really looking forward to that. Uh, so, you know, for you, what else is going on, man? A- anything uh, big going on in your uh, world? This is it, man. Just training, hanging out with the family, and uh, yeah, that's about that's my life, man. The, the gym and then home, family man, and then the gym. That's about all I do. I don't really do much uh, do much else besides that. Man. And, and I of got course, two kids, you know, family. And, and if anybody follows you on Twitter, they'll see that uh, you're a little bit of a jokester with uh, with your training partners. Of course, man. I like to mix it up and have fun with it. You know, I like to bust Eric Spicy's chops a little bit every now and again. But uh, yeah, on tw- I like to have a good time on Twitter. We all have, we all have fun. P- people think that it's James Lynch and all these guys. You know, at first I think they thought that it was serious, but you know now they realize that I'm just joking with these guys. Sukuthal is one of those ones. Do you like to joke with a lot? Well, I, listen, I, I have known Andre for a long time, man, and he's been, you know, I could tell you back, the, for my first title fight that I had, it was like my fourth fight in probably 2006. Um, Andre was just a teenager, you know, he was just like this little kid, and I remember, you know, he asked if he could walk out with me, and, uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, Andre had another son when he was really young who passed away of uh, of EB. It's like this, you know, very rare disease, and... uh you know, I remember I walked out and I made my whole team wear like, you know, the, the shirts and stuff like that. It was actually on the tap out show. You remember that back in the day? Yeah, on versus... yeah. So Mike Campbell, who was like one of my best friends, he was he was the guy who was like on the tap out show who got sent to the WEC. But they showed my fight, too, as well. And, uh, you know, so Andre was a teenager. He was probably 17, 18 years old. And uh, and he walked out with us. And, you know, I wore like his son's shirt. And, you know, he, he took pictures and all that kind of thing of the whole fight. 
you know, he was always like, oh, I'm going to be a fighter one day. And I was like, yeah, shut up, kid. Like, you know what I mean? It's a punk dude. And now I'm on CES and I'm on the undercard. And he's a main event. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Man. I mean, that, that knockout. He... For a long time, man. He's like my little brother. And you know what I mean? And uh, But uh, yeah, I, I love busting his chops. Or... And of course, a uh, big uh, Boston sports uh, fan there. You know, you'll see you tweeting about the Bruins and, and the Celtics. All the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's... a huge Celtics fan. I actually, uh Sean Grandy, the Bellator announcer, yeah. is a really good. He's a buddy of mine, and uh, you know he, he's. I do some boxing with him, and yeah, he's taken me to a few Celtics games. Um, I've went like three times this year, so yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I'm a huge, huge Boston sports fan. Yeah, it's tough for me to be an Orlando Magic fan. It's been it's been a, a rough uh, what decade? <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah, it's been a rough stretch for you guys. Man. One yeah. of the guys uh, who works for CES is a huge Orlando Magic fan. Same deal. Just, He's got the uh, Penny Hardaway jersey on every time they have a CES show. I'm telling you, anyone hasn't seen the uh, 30 for 30 ESPN did with Shaq and Penny? Unbelievable. It was awesome. I it mean, was awesome. just just unbelievable, especially kind of telling the story of basically why Shaq went to the Lakers and, and kind of, yeah. you know, that, that whole thing. And, uh, yeah, but big Lightning fan as well. But uh, going through, we can't, we can't stay healthy. We, it's true. But when you guys are healthy, you're the best team in the business, dude. Yeah, we just got to get to the playoffs, you know. That's it. Maybe may, you know they really should trade. Mind. They really should trade Bench Bishop. Trade who? Bishop. Well, you know this is last year of Bishop's deal. Yeah, that's true because you're going to get something for him. Yeah, that, that, but then the, you know it's, it goes. The other thing is it's great to have two great goalies because if one goes down, you, you, you can you can easily turn to the other guy. Yeah, no, I'm not going to argue with that. You know? Because the Bruins are running into that situation. Because our backup goalie is, he might as well be on the end of card of CES because he's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let everyone know they can follow you at on uh, on social media. Yeah, it's um, it's it's G Rebello seven at G Rebello seventy three is my Twitter handle, and you'll see me on there all the time, making fun of Andre and Joe Ping and, and Eric Spicy, who's up at TriStar right now. He fights tonight after me. So, uh, yeah, man. You I'm talk always about, on there having a good time. You talk about one of the biggest surprises of 2016, his his win over uh, Santos. It was unbelievable, man. I, I remember I was at um I was actually at Andres Andre Sukumtov's wedding. And uh <laughs> I kind of told him, like, Andre, man, you know, I was there for a long time. I was like, I'm sneaking out the back door, man. I'm trying to make it home in time for Spicy to fight. And as soon as I pulled in my driveway and opened my door, I, you know, I already had it set to my TV and it was turned on. And Eric, they were just announcing Eric's name. And man, I couldn't believe it, man. I was I was like blown away because, you know, Tiago is obviously a scary dude, man. Cool. But Eric's. Trust me, man, I can tell you I've rolled with a lot of guys, man. And Eric Spicely is he I mean, he is unbelievable on the ground. So I'll put him up against seriously. I'd put him up against anybody on the mat and uh, and, and he'll get it done. And his jujitsu is just unbelievable. And his striking is getting better. He's getting more confident in his striking, and uh, yeah, he he's a, he's a tough matchup for anybody, man. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and as his confidence rises, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think he's going to do really well, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, you talk about the ultimate back against the wall fight. I mean, if he doesn't take that fight, he, he gets cut. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what Joe Silva was like. If you don't take this fight, you're cut. Yeah, I mean, and, and basically he was probably going to be like, you know, I'm done. This is it. This is the end of the road. But he was like, you know, whatever, I'll take it. And I think a lot of people were against him. But not me. I was like, man, if you're going to get cut and this is the only option, just do it, you know. And, and he did it, man. First round submission was wild. 
in the realistic part of it is, and and I've talked to guys who who've gotten cut from you know a UFC or Bellator, and they're like, look, you, you make good money in those promotions. You go somewhere else, you, you may not find promoters who want to pay you anywhere near that kind of money. Yep, no, it's true. It's because you see you see a lot of guys like like you said, the guys that get cut from the UFC or from Bellator, and then they want to go to a promotion like CES. You're just not going to get paid the same money, you know what no. I mean? So it's tough to get those guys in, you know. It's no. and, that, mean, and that's why you see a lot of those guys just stop fighting. Yeah, I mean, unless you you can go to a market where you know you're going to put a bunch of butts in the seats, and to where the, the or unless you get sponsors outside that are going to you know help you with things. But but the sponsor game's not what it once was, though. Not at all. And unless you're a guy, you know, Brandon Ward does really well with sponsorships because he's like a king in Connecticut. You know what I mean? Everybody loves him around there. Um, plus, he sells like a gajillion tickets. When he walks out, you can't even hear his entrance music. It's so loud in there. Oh, I know. But, I've been there for it. Yeah. You know, guys like that, you know, Matt Bissett, that's put a lot of, you know, they, they can make a lot of money on the ticket sales. Andre again. When Andre fights, it's ridiculous. I remember when Andre won his title, I had won that night by knockout. Uh, I fought Keith Bell. And as soon as my fight was over, like I ran back to my corner excited. The whole crowd was chanting Andre. <laughs> they didn't even care about my fight. They were chanting Andre because they were like, one of them, you know, they were like, they yeah. were like, screw Rebello, get this kid out of here. We want Andre. Man. Yeah, I remember he, he told me the story where he was in the back, you know, taking care of all the post fight stuff. And, and, he, and he said one of the Twin River uh, security guys came in. It's like, hey, man, can you come out? He's like, what do you mean? He goes, all your fans are out here in the lobby and they want to clear the lobby. Yeah, they won't leave. The La- Laotian and Asian community, they're all crazy for Andre, man. They put on parades in his hometown when he wins. No, he's not lying, man. I walked out there. I was with him. And when he walked out, uh, there's a giant lobby in Twin River. And there's, like, escalators that go up to the second floor of the casino. And it's mm-hmm. a huge lobby. And, I mean, there was a, there was a thousand people in there. The place was packed, chanting Andre like, as he walked out. So it was a pretty cool It was a pretty cool sight to see. You know what I mean? It was a, it was definitely a special moment for him. And it was it was cool. But. Yeah, he wasn't lying, and and those people weren't leaving. They didn't care what Twin River, what the, what the security <laughs> guard said. It was pretty cool. Got to think Andre's got to be on the radar for the UFC. He's got to be. I mean, I think he's. Is, I think he's won three fights in a row. Um, I always give him crap. The last guy that he lost to just signed Kelleher. Um, but I, I think he's. You know, maybe another one or two more fights. Um, and, and I think it's he's going to get it done for sure. You know, Andre's a stud, man. He's he's a. He's a great fighter, and the thing with him is he, he just wants it, man. You know, and he's a tough kid, and uh, you know you can't break his will, man. Like yeah. you know, he, he's a fighter, for sure. But yeah, hundred percent. I, I think it's just a matter of time before he, you know, he's in the UFC. I really appreciate Greg. Uh, I thought you you bring a, a a very unique perspective, being from the fighter and the coach. Uh, I really do appreciate, man. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. I had a great time, brother. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, you can check out this podcast, RadioInfluence.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Of course, uh, be sure to check out my sponsor, Fight TV. You can download the app, fightfite.tv forward slash RadioInfluence forward slash. That link is also available on RadioInfluence.com. Of course, uh, be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Jason underscore Floyd. Also, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at MMA Insiders PC. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy, and former Bellator matchmaker Sam Kaplan. 
Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl. Or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think. When it comes to what you want, Radio Influence has you covered. Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.